Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Aaron Street. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 300 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with Sam Glover about his thoughts on the current state of the legal world, as well as debuting a new project he's been working on. Today's podcast is brought to you by Termageddon, Back Office Betty's, LawPay, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned and we will tell you more about them later on. So, in addition to celebrating the big round number of 300, which is very exciting to have that many podcast episodes after what is now five and a half years of doing a weekly show and very excited to have Sam back and to celebrate, which is all great. I think for the 200th episode, we ran all sorts of contests and promotions and celebrations and a video and all sorts of things. And I don't know that we're going to blow the doors off that much for 300, but it's still cool. Yes. Congratulations. Well, you too. You've now been a part of dozens of them, if not more than that. I know, but it's still exciting. It's fun. Um, I thought we would chat a little bit about what an interesting year 2020 has been in a very specific way for the lawyerist team, which is, I think, eight of the nine of us have taken the last three months as an opportunity to move. <laughs> I know. It's funny. It's like some companies, one person gets pregnant and then everybody winds up pregnant. And at Lawyerist, one person, you, well, actually you started it, right? I guess so. You're like, hey, we're going to move houses. And then next thing you know, we've all started moving houses. Yeah. And I think the details of each team member's move are maybe a little different, but it definitely feels like 2020 has been a year where there's so much disruption going on anyway, that it feels like a really interesting opportunity to proactively choose to press reset on the things we want to as well. What's cool about it is that people aren't just changing houses, although obviously they are changing houses, but for several of us, it's been an opportunity to reset our life and our priorities and what we value in terms of our biggest financial commitment, which is where we live. I mean, that was the case for me. Yeah, totally. Mine was not financially driven, but it was not irrelevant, which is we lived on a nice house on a lake in a big city and decided to move back to the small town I grew up in to have a smaller, quieter life if we can. Yeah, I love that. And for me, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot when we bought this house that we are selling in two weeks. I remembered it was a really large house. And I mean, it was a good price at the time. It was the bottom of the market, but it was it was a stretch for us financially. I was the managing partner of a law firm. And I went to my law partner and I was like, I don't know, what do you think? Should I buy this house? And he looked at me and was like, of course you should buy this house. This is the house the managing partner of a multi-million dollar law firm lives in. And um, it sounds even dumb <laughs> now, right? Like just coming out of my mouth. It's like, that's really stupid. But we as lawyers, I mean, I think it's relevant to our audience because we get ourselves in knots around 
what it means to be successful and what a successful lawyer looks like and what they wear and what they drive and where they live. And, uh, and that can be really toxic. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too caught up in being snarky with competition or anything, but one of the programs that sort of competes against our lawyerist lab coaching program, we've been told has a refrain that when you join, they tell you from now on, you must purchase first class airline tickets for yourself because you deserve it. And this is what a good attorney does for themselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with flying first class if you choose to and want to and can afford to. Um, But the idea that one must do this to keep up appearances feels really antithetical to me to doing things that are sustainable and to doing things that are healthy. Yeah. So you don't have to do that. And for me, there was this aha moment during the pandemic where I realized like my value as a person and as a professional and how successful I am in the world and how I impact people has nothing to do with the size of my home or the size of my mortgage. And so we are doing a similar move. We're moving, we're downsizing, and we're kind of moving out from the downtown area to the suburbs. And in doing so, we're, we're kind of cutting our house cost in half. I mean, it's crazy. And I see it as so freeing because now I'm going to have, like, if I want to invest in a local business, if I want to, you know, you and I have talked about this, like, how cool would it be to target some some startups in our in our local communities and be able to support them? That feels really amazing to me. And I can still be valuable and, and contribute to society, right? And, and even more so. Yeah, I mean, this is not, today's intro is not meant to be like personal f- finance advice or some mantra around live frugally or anything like that. But I think my big takeaway of some of the themes that have been playing out on the lawyerist team this year is that 2020 has been hugely disruptive for lots of people. Lots of people are struggling and are needing to make changes in the face of that. Some of us have been really lucky that it hasn't had those kind of impacts for us. And yet we're proactively choosing to make a bunch of the same changes in our lives, not because we're forced to, um, but because it's been such an interesting eye-opening opportunity to say, hey, do I really need all of this? And that potentially making some of those kinds of changes right now, while everything's up in the air anyway, Um, can be one of these kind of freeing experiences that you describe. Yeah. You know what you just did there? This is why I love working with Aaron because I have like all these ideas and I just like splat them all out. And then Aaron like succinctly is like, here's what Stephanie's trying to say in a very (laughs) coherent way. (laughs) Hardly. I love it. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. And I'm excited for the change. Um, excited for all the team members. It's been fun watching everyone go through their own transition and kind of figuring out how they want to live, which is, uh, you know, I was just reading this in our book to prepare some materials for a talk I have coming up. And one of the things we talk about is being intentional. And I think that's really what we're saying is you get to be intentional about your life and the life you want to live, including where you live and how you spend your money and where you invest your resources. All those things. I am also really excited to have Sam back on the show. Uh, It's been too long. And it's fun to have the old gang back together every once in a while. And with that, we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Hans and Donata from Termageddon, and then Stephanie's conversation with Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Donata Strunk-Skillward, and I'm the president of Termageddon. I'm the one responsible for all of the policy questionnaires and the policy texts, and for keeping the policies up to date with changing privacy laws. 
I'm also the vice chair of the American Bar Association's ePrivacy Committee and the chair of the Chicago chapter of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Hi, uh, my name is Hans. I'm the other co-founder of Termageddon. I am a tech guy. Um, I help build the tech behind Termageddon and I oversee partnerships and marketing. Uh, my background, I ran a 12-person software company in downtown Chicago for seven years, and I sold that business early last year to focus all of my attention on Termageddon, uh, which we've never looked back to ever since then. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to chat with both of you. It's always a treat to get to have more than one person to speak to and get that different perspective. Why did you two start this company? Sure. Um, so from my perspective, I'm actually an attorney licensed in Illinois. And before we started Termageddon, I used to draft privacy policies in terms of service for my clients, and it was super boring. I felt like I was asking my clients very similar questions. I was using similar templates. I was maybe copying and pasting five or six templates together to get the policy that I needed. And I just felt like there should be a more efficient way to do this and a way that lawyers can do this without getting bogged down in the actual technical portion of, of adding a bunch of templates together and cobbling something up. Yeah, on my side, uh, my company would launch websites or new uh, applications. And right before site launch, a client would say, hey, what should I do for a privacy policy? And I would say, I don't know what you should do. Like, talk to your attorney. And time and time again, there was just a lot of unknowns. Um, clients of attorneys didn't know what they needed and so forth. And it was very clear that privacy policies are something that everyone wants, but no one knows exactly how to get it done correctly. And obviously, Donata and I, who are married, we were talking about both of our frustrations uh, over dinner, and we came up with Termageddon, a solution to help law firms help their clients uh, with the auto-updating privacy policy solution. So can you dig a little bit into the how? Like, how does Termageddon help lawyers create website policies for their clients and make that so easy? Sure. Um, so we generate the actual policies for your client. Um, so one license protects one client's website or an application, and it includes a privacy policy, a terms of service, a disclaimer, and an end user license agreement. And essentially the way that it works is when you're generating the policy, the first set of questions will help determine what privacy laws apply to your client. And then you'll have to answer some simple questions like what personal information does the website collect? Who do you share it with? How it's used and things like that. And then based on those answers, a customized policy is created by our software. So instead of having to you know, copy and paste and add a bunch of templates together, you come out with a really great template that's a really great starting point for you. And all you have to do is then review the template and edit anything, any of the language, if you would like to edit it. And at that point, you have completed your work, saving yourself quite a lot of time. And we don't just provide you with the uh, policy itself. We also provide you with something that's called an embed code, which is what allows us to keep those policies up to date. So we don't just provide you with a great template that's customized to the needs of your actual client. We keep track of privacy laws in the United States and across the world uh, to make sure that those policies are always up to date. Do you want to speak to the privacy laws and just what's happening in privacy in general? Sure. So currently, we have quite a few privacy laws in the United States and across the world. 
that apply to many websites. Um, so as I'm sure a lot of the listeners here know, you know, companies that are located in certain states might have to comply with privacy laws from other states or other countries, even if they're not located there. Um, so we make sure that the policies have all the correct disclosures for the existing privacy laws um, that are in place right now. And then we also keep track of privacy loss for you and make changes when those changes need to be made. And obviously notify you whenever the changes are being made. Yeah, that's a huge benefit right there alone. I imagine just the tracking of the different privacy laws. If it's not something you do in your practice a whole lot, having something that's going to kind of do that scan and make sure it's updated is so important. So once the policy is created, how does it get updated on the website? So we offer an embed code, which is an optional feature uh, for lawyers to provide to their clients. Uh, But if the lawyer chooses to offer their client the embed code, that embed code gets copied and pasted onto the privacy policy page of the website. And that's what allows the Termagant application to control what that privacy policy says on that website. So you as an attorney now have one dashboard that you can log into and you can view all the policies for all of your clients all in one dashboard. And then whenever you make edits or changes to any of them, they push automatically to the website. This is a wonderful feature because, well, there's 23 proposed privacy bills in America right now. There's going to be a lot of changes over the coming years. And rather than you having to produce another PDF to give to your client, to give to their developer, to add to their website, you just push the update automatically right through your Termagun application. And you can control it all through one single dashboard to see all your clients. And who doesn't love an all-in-one dashboard? That sounds amazing and so easy to track. Anyone who is listening can get a free set of these privacy policies before you use it with clients. You can visit termageddon.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page to find that law firm partners page, and you'll get your free license to test out and use for your own website. Hey, Stephanie, thanks for having me back on the podcast for episode 300. That's super exciting. For those who haven't heard my voice in a while, it feels awkward to be introducing myself on the podcast that I hosted for so long. But hey, I I guess I helped found this company and I'm currently working on another project, which may or may not be another company, not sure. And I uh, hosted the first 200 something episodes of this podcast and co-authored our book and I'm trying to decide how I want to describe myself right now. Um, my current project is a software project, so I think I'm now a software developer. I'm not sure if I'm entitled to that, but anyway. <laughs> and so since you didn't say it, hey, everyone, it's Sam Glover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I do this every single time I have to introduce myself at a presentation or whatever. I never say my name. I always forget. And I promise it's not because I'm just like, oh, you should know who I am. I just am absent-minded. That's all right. <laughs> Well, hey, Sam, welcome back to the show. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me back. And congratulations on episode 300. That feels crazy. This podcast started because Aaron and I were both listening to Serial. I think Aaron was working about a few hours a week on Lawyerist, and we were getting together at Java Jacks in South Minneapolis, or no, uh, Patisserie 46 or something like that for coffee and business chat once a week. And everybody in the in the place was always talking about cereal because it was such a big thing. And we were like, I don't know, maybe we should start a podcast, which was totally not an innovative thing to be. I mean, like it was everywhere. Everybody was like, oh, my God, podcast. And so we started it. And holy crap, here we are almost six years later celebrating episode 300. That's nuts. 
So, well, it's awesome. And I'm excited to chat with you today. And, you know, you kind of told us a little bit about you guys getting it started. Um, I don't know. Did you have a goal? Did you have a thought about where it would be? I mean, honestly, I think Lawyerist started as a blog that was mostly me critiquing things and pontificating about things. And I was just a little bit tired of writing maybe and felt like a podcast was maybe a better place to have nuanced conversations because it's, it's hard to do that in a blog post, right? You, you put together your post and you put it out there in the world and then immediately everybody starts jumping all over you and nitpicking. They're like, yeah, but this and that, but this, and you're like, yeah, there's more there. And I'd love to explain that. But, you know, I was trying to fit this into something that might hold your attention for 10 minutes, but a podcast is something where you can actually explore the nuance and a lot less gets lost in those conversations. And so I was just hoping to have interesting conversations with people about law and practice and things in that neighborhood. And, you know, since I guess that was a pretty modest goal, so I guess we did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. What are some of your favorite episodes or what are some of the conversations that maybe have have stuck with you? I mean, you asked me this and I I started going through the list of episodes to remind myself of all of them, but uh, I'm not in the mix of law practice thinking day to day right now. You know, I'm I'm sort of semi-retired and spending more time helping my kids um, get to their classes on time on, on Zoom and Google Meet right now than I am thinking about law practice, although I'm still, you know, plugged in and, and have an ambient awareness. But so the podcast episodes that kind of stick with me are the ones that had more to do with personal development, I suppose, because that's where my head is right now, I guess. I'm still not drinking. Um, so Annie Grace is somebody that I think about fairly regularly. I guess I just decided to keep going. And uh, when we all had to closet ourselves during the pandemic, it felt like a bad time to start drinking again. So so, so I decided to just keep going. So Annie Grace sticks with me. Um, I'm about to go camping with my kids. And and every time I even think about adventure, Dean Cardinale comes up. Uh, That was a really special podcast and, and fun to have. All of the social justice work that's happening in the world. I mean, it feels like we might be in the middle of the next big civil rights movement. Um, if we can get some real momentum going. And so I think about um, my episode with Heather Hackman a fair amount. She's somebody who has actually, I might think about that episode more than any other. She was so smart and really um, helpful in thinking through where our heads need to be on this topic, especially those of us who are white and, and male. Um, and my wife is doing a lot of social justice work through her job. So that, that trickles down to me. A couple of like people that I just loved talking with was Larry Lessig was, you know, is kind of a personal hero. And so having that podcast was really special. And every once in a while I strut around thinking about how he told me I interpreted his work so well that in a way that he hadn't thought of before. So it's like when your law professor tells you, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. Uh, yeah, that's always good. <laughs> Hob and Germa, my God, uh, is just so cool. And then the one really law practice centered that I I go back to thinking about this a lot and she comes up in my conversation a lot is Rebecca Sandifer and our conversation about really trying to describe the access to justice gap better. And, you know, that kind of mind boggling statistic that fewer than 20% of people with justice issues use the courts or lawyers to solve them is just, it's one of those things that I keep coming back to as like, this is the reason why so much of our conversations about access to justice are off the rails because we're not even acknowledging the fact that lawyers and courts aren't the predominant way that we solve these problems. And we're trying to address them by getting more lawyers to people and that won't help. So 
that's when I keep coming back to. I remember the first time I heard her speak at a conference and I was just like, like it's, you're just kind of shell shocked for a minute because she presents, yeah. she presents data and facts, but in such a great, with a great story that lawyers are just missing. So I, I agree. That's one we should all go back and, and listen to. And especially, I mean, Cleo Trend's report came out at the time that we're recording this. Um, it just came out yesterday. And one of the things they talk about in that report this year is, is access and affordability. And they talk about like, we're missing the discussion around affordability and how we need to change our practices. And it doesn't necessarily mean pro bono or just discounts, right? Like that's what, right. that was the point they highlighted this year in the report is affordability can mean lots of different things. Um, and so we all need to, no matter what your practice is, especially in light of the pandemic and I think the recession that we're going to find ourselves in for who knows how long, we should be thinking about that. Most people know I used to be a consumer rights lawyer. And so for a long time, I still sort of followed that world and those developments. And one of the things that really intersects with access to justice, obviously, but one of the statistics that came out was, I don't know if it was the Federal Reserve or somebody else was doing interviews on, you know, how many of you could come up with $400 in an emergency? And like half the country can't. And so you can't lower your fees right. <laughs> unless you can get them below $400, like significantly below $400. You're not actually talking to half the country. They're not your clients. And so that doesn't mean discounts. Like you said, it means creative thinking, I think, about how we solve this problem as, as an industry. You know, one of the things in lawyers is so focused on helping small law firms. And one of the things that's always been in my head as well is like as a profession, as the law, the justice system, what are some other ways that we need to be thinking about how to address that problem? Because that isn't necessarily a problem that you can address as a small firm lawyer, but it is a problem that our industry faces and that our society and our country faces. So um, it's part of the problem that I, I think about a lot and I don't, I don't really have any answers to. Yeah, I think that's the struggle. And I think it starts with acknowledging the problem and seeing that it's going to take big big thinkers, but maybe, but this is a point I, I thought about yesterday. I woke up thinking about this. I think when we acknowledge the problem as too big, it's easy to mm -hmm. just say it's too big. I can't solve it. So you know right. what? I'm just going to keep doing my thing or I'm just going to put my head in the sand. And so I was like, maybe it's time to start the, this idea of, you know, we've talked about this relentless incrementalism, like how can I just chip away at 1%? Like I can't solve systematic mm -hmm. racism, right? Like I wish I could, I would. It is too big. <laughs> <It> is, <laughs> right. But it was like, but I can't make the problem be so big that I fail to act. Right. And so I yeah. think we have to, but if everybody would take one step, if everybody would improve 1%, maybe that's, the approach that it takes. I, I, again, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm just trying to, this yeah, is what I've been thinking about. There's definitely some nuance there. Like it's easy to sometimes persuade yourself that you're doing your part when you're sort of just rearranging tech chairs on the Titanic, you know, like recycling is a great example of that. It turns out that recycling was actually just an industry way of distracting us from the big problem. And, and I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, let's do my little 1% over here. And it means that I don't have to call my Senator and my representative, right? Like, right. obviously you still do. But I think that access to justice is a little bit of a different case because this is our legal system, right? Like we are sworn members of this profession. And so if what needs to change is the courts, then, then it's up to us to get involved and help the courts change. And I think courts is, is one of the main things that needs work. 
and we need to do the work. And there's not necessarily a financial justification for it. Like I can't put a return on investment calculation on that necessarily. I think it's there, but it's really long-term and a little bit vague. But if we want to have a more just society, we need to be putting in the work where it needs to be done. And and I think we can all put in 1% or more um, in helping the courts become more pro se friendly and making it easier for people to get work done that they need to get done at the courts. We can all lobby for that, push on that, show examples, share information, be on serve on committees. That's the kind of activism that we need from from lawyers. Yeah. And the pandemic, in a way, has forced courts to acknowledge that things like a remote hearing can absolutely happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much time and energy is wasted going to rural. People in the rural areas just couldn't even yeah. have lawyers get to courts because they would. The, it didn't make sense, right? Like, I'm not going to spend three hours in a car to go to a 15-minute hearing. Yeah. There are lots of things that, that we can support and advocate for. And so, yeah, hopefully people are doing that. And we'll continue. So I'm curious, sometimes I find when I'm able to step away, this is why, honestly, vacations are really great. We, I mean, <laughs> it's, we, we need to remind ourselves that. But, you know, I find that when you give your, it's always true when you give your mind that space and that break to, to think, I don't know, sometimes new ideas come up or new ways of thinking about things come up. So I'm just curious because you've had a couple of months now um, to step away and focus on the girls and their their school, which I love, and apparently canoe a lot more, right? Like <laughs> Canoeing, whittling, playing guitar. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just kind of curious if, if in that space there have been any kind of reflections or thoughts that you've had that maybe some of our listeners could hear. The main thing, and I'm going to try not to make this sound cynical, but it is a little cynical, is the slowness with which change seems to happen in the legal profession. Like there are a lot of people talking about us included um, at Lawyerist about how the pandemic has accelerated so many things. And that's true in the sense that a lot of people are using Zoom that weren't using Zoom before. But it's not really true in the sense that many people are practicing law exactly the same as they did before, except that they're now having meetings over Zoom instead. And yeah, things have changed, but at the I feel like so many of the conversation, you know, there Cleocon is happening right now. And I, I, I've been clicking on the hashtag once in a while. And, and I, I was obviously at LabCon and, and hearing conversations there. And, and so many of the conversations we're having today are the same conversations that we were having 13 years ago. <laughs> and that I'm a little, I'm frustrated. Like I want, I want to see disruption. You know, I feel like if 80% of the customers walked into Target and then walked back out the door, it wouldn't be a viable business. And I feel like we're just not solving the problem that we're here to solve. And I don't have any better insights into what the answer is because I think our profession is protected in important ways that make it really hard to just, I don't think disruption is real. We've talked about that before, Um, but God, if there were some that was more in need of blowing up than ours, I don't know what it is. Like if somebody needs to drop a bomb on the profession so that everybody has to do things differently going forward. <laughs> and I don't, you know, that's, I guess it is, that came out just about as cynical as I was afraid it would. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a little bit of a, a reminder that our work is not done and we can't be complacent and we have to dig in and whatever that looks like. I mean, that I think that's the problem though, is like, Mm-hmm. 
most people I connect with really do want change and they want to do better and they want to serve more people. Like they, they have all the end goals and the, the intentions are there and they're just lost on the path. And it's like, well, yeah, what do I do? And I think that's the hard part. I know from my very long time at lawyers that so many people, you know, have the desire, but aren't you're exactly what you said, aren't sure of the path. And that that's one of the reasons why the work that you're doing at lawyers is so important because people need help seeing it. Um, you know, I guess I hope if I've left anything behind me in the legal world, it's that I, I challenged people to do better and kept the pressure on. Maybe I've been too critical <laughs> at times, but I think I've learned over the years. And I guess I'm still just as frustrated as I was when I started about, and maybe that's also because I'm really bad at looking back and acknowledging the progress that we've made. You know, at Lawyerist, we make a point of every quarter looking back and patting ourselves on the back for what we accomplished in part. And for me, that was really important because I'm really bad at looking back and acknowledging progress. I always want to be further ahead than I am. And so maybe that's just partly my nature, but I guess I'm still frustrated. I still see so many opportunities and I want to see people taking advantage of them. And I love, I love seeing it when things move forward. And I love seeing people who are pushing the envelope and changing things. So um, that's what keeps me inspired is seeing people who are and seeing, seeing firms doing that and seeing lawyers and companies doing that. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to shift and find out what you've been up to. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebettys.com slash lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code PODCAST to receive $150 off your first month. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, LawPay, as the ability to accept payments online becomes an increasingly essential part of your practice, LawPay provides your firm with a proven and trusted solution. With LawPay, you receive a simple, secure way to accept client credit cards and e-check payments from anywhere. LawPay understands the unique compliance requirements placed on attorneys, which is why their solution was developed specifically to correctly separate earned and unearned fees and protect IOLTA accounts from any third-party debiting, giving you peace of mind that your transactions are always handled correctly. To learn more or to get started, visit lawpay.com lawyerist today. Supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander. Your team can do more with the same resources. Less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency will have your team feeling like they've hopped off a bicycle and into a Ferrari. Keep the team consistent, accurate, and current so you can work faster and smarter with Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Create powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest for you. Keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Lawyerist Podcast listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com podcast to learn more. All right, Sam. So we're back and I want to shift gears and I know you have a new project you've been working on and I think you're ready to reveal it to the world. Are you just revealed it to the world? 
So what is it? I did. Yeah, it's out, it's out there and people can use it. It's something I wanted to exist in the world for a very long time. And now I finally had time to build it, which is, uh, it's called Client Power Tools. And you can find it at clientpowertools.com. It's free. Um, there is no business around it yet. There might be someday if it takes up some interest, but we'll see. A while back, uh, Nicole Aboud gave a presentation at, I don't know, the third or fourth ClioCon. I have no idea. I've lost track at this point. Um, and it was a talk about uh, reaching out to millennial clients and, and working with millennials as staff. And But I, I want to set that aside because I don't think it actually has anything to do with that. And she was pointing out that people today expect to be able to interact with your firm 24-7, 365. Um, and what she was talking about was you need to have a presence, not that you need to answer the phone 24-7, 365, but you need to have a presence that people can interact with all the time. And what she suggested was that your website should do more than just be a marketing billboard. And that has been my, like almost every company that you do business with has a website that isn't just marketing. You know, like you can actually check in on the progress of your purchases or you can communicate with your doctor or your contractor. But those are big expensive platforms that aren't accessible to the everyday person who just wants that. And so I wanted to build that. Um, and so Client Power Tools is intended to be that kind of a client portal. And I think lawyers will find it useful. I'm not explicitly designing it for lawyers, but it's impossible for me not to be designing it primarily with lawyers in mind. And if you're running a WordPress website, you can just click to install it. It's free, it's in the plugin directory. And um, right now it's the MVP, the minimum viable product. And so it's based around communication, but with some of my ideas in there for, you know, like a, your client can visit your website, can log in and see a private communication stream with you, um, which, also helps solve the problem around securing your client communications, which I think has been harder up to this point, but they can also click a, a button to request a status update from you, um, which I think is probably the most frequent thing clients want from their lawyers. And clicking that button, my, my hypothesis is that it will help them feel like they've done the thing. And um, then it sends you an, an email so that you can be tracking who needs status updates. So anyway, so that's, that's what I've built. It's free and easy to, to install and set up. I've tried to make it as easy as possible. And, and we'll just see what happens. If there is a need in the world for it and it, and it gains popularity, great. There's, I have an idea of how I might turn it into a business, but, um, but at the moment, I'm just hopeful that people find it useful. And I, I'm sort of validated by the fact that Clio just announced their own Clio for Clients app. Yeah, I was wondering if you knew about that. <laughs> it means that I don't need to think about building a, a Clio API integration because if you use Clio, you should just use that. Clio users should just use the Clio thing, obviously. But there are some different things that, A, it's free and I'm not making any money off of it. But B, like there are some reasons why you might want to use your own website-based thing. One of the questions I have is, how strong is the Clio brand going to be for clients? And, and how many firms want to be like, hey, let's use Clio to communicate and exchange documents. Does that feel weird? I don't know. Um, probably not. Like my contractor used Builder Trend and so they'd be like, hey, I sent you a message in Builder Trend. And that felt fine. So, and I think using Clio for clients is going to feel similar for clients. So I, I think it's probably no big deal. Um, but yeah, Client Power Tools is a different tool. It's probably mostly for non-Clio users, but I can imagine some Clio users even feel like, hey, I want to roll my own set up and this will enable me to do that. So, Well, the get a status update button does sound like it would satisfy that client. The clients want to be able to ask for that update and yeah. for you to then have a way to provide it. So I, I could see that being a, a useful tool. I guess the other opportunity if, if people end up experimenting with your tool is um, 
pretty good chance they could connect with the uh, developer and make <laughs> requests and suggestions and find out like, right. They, isn't that kind of the beauty of this? Like you could get in and yeah. be a, one of the early users. And yeah, I mean, Clio has what, like dozens or hundreds of people working on development. Um, so they're obviously going to produce faster, better, more polished products, but like, yeah, I'm really curious to see who the core user of this is going to be and then, and then build it build something that they really want. And it's been fun. It, you know, it's been a way to stretch my own skills and see what I can accomplish. And so it's been really interesting. I'm really proud of what I built. It is fairly minimalist at this point, um, but I have piles of ideas for what it could be if it turns out like, I don't want to put in a ton of additional effort if, if it's not going to be useful for people. So I'm kind of waiting to see if people take it up and use it. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to follow the journey. I'm excited that it's out in the world and see how people use it and how it helps them with their firm. I agree. I think websites can be so much more than electronic business card. I mean, right. I mean, it's the natural place for people to interact with you, you know, like download an app and go to that app is it's harder. Right. I mean, it, then it lives on your phone, but like, yeah, just check in on my website and there's a big button that says log in to see how things are going. Yeah. And it makes so much sense to me that your website should be more than and offer a place for clients to go and interact with you. So I love that you're giving people an easy way, free way to do it. So if you want to check that out, make sure you do. We'll, we'll make sure that we put the link in the, in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. I hope people check it out. I mean, the interesting thing is if you, if you aren't savvy enough to install a plugin on your website, it's not going to be all that attractive to you. <laughs> so, so it'll be one of the things I'm curious about is like how many lawyers are still building and maintaining their own website? I don't know. So we'll find out. Yeah. I've, I've asked Nicole Abu to be an advisor since I got the idea from her, but she just had a baby. And so she's a little busy with other things right now too. So <laughs> well, good. Well, if you end up downloading it, make sure you connect with Sam and tell him yeah, how it's going and, and what works and, and what doesn't and what you like or what features you want, because ultimately... Uh, that's what he's trying to do is provide a tool that's useful to you and your clients. So that would, I guess that would be the other big ask there is we don't need just feedback from lawyers. We need feedback from clients. I talk about this all yeah. the time. Like lawyers need to talk to our clients a lot more and ask them, Hey, is this easy to use? What do you want to see? Right. So it's not about you really. It's, I mean, you lawyers, it's about your clients. One of the lessons that we learned again and again and again is you don't know what's wrong with your thing unless people tell you. And most people aren't going to volunteer. They're just going to stop doing it. And so you need to ask. And whether you're implementing client power tools or something else, Clio for clients, um, you know, making a change on your website, if it doesn't work, people are just going to vanish. And so you, you just have to dig in and ask. If client power tools breaks your website, I won't know unless you tell me. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have an attorney we still use here locally for my husband's business. And it dry. I can't tell you how insane it drives me that he mails me an invoice and expects me to write a check and mail it back to him. I just think that yeah. is so, <laughs> so insane. I'm like, I, I don't want to pay you. Like, I don't want to pay you for this reason. It, it drives yeah. me so bonkers. So that reminds me, I have an invoice <laughs> for my accountant that I need to pay with a check by putting it in the mail. And I, I think I'm 60 days late already because I never check my mail and open my mail. So. Right. Like, please, people, please just let me pay you electronically like I pay everybody else. Send me an email and give me a button. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> Make it Apple Pay so I don't even have to think about it. I just, you know, double click and go. Yes. I order more food that way 
because I'm like, whoever makes it easiest for me to do things is where mm-hmm. we go. So pay attention to your own habits and figure out what's annoying you. And then don't annoy your clients the same way, right? We've been ordering Chinese food through DoorDash, even though it probably costs us 15 bucks more. <laughs> Just because it's so much easier. <laughs> I know. Uh, I love it. Which is stupid as hell, but whatever. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on today and pontificating on all mm-hmm. the things in the world and sharing your your sage wisdom with us, as always. I don't know how sage or wise it is, but I'm, you're very welcome. It's it's good to be back. It's it's neat to see lawyer. You know, like watching you guys roll out the new branding was super cool. Part of me is a little sad because I put so much work into the website over the years, but it's cool to see it that it can function without me. I, I know we've been talking about this, but uh, you've been talking about this with people, and but this is the ability to step away from the business I I helped create um, is crazy it feels crazy that I was able to step away and that, you know, I'd flattered myself into thinking that I was essential to it. And honestly, there's no better feeling than knowing that I'm not. So. Yeah. I love that. And I've explained that to some people. I'm like, you guys, Sam did it. Like he did what we're all trying to do, which is create a thing and then be able to step away from it. Like that's so awesome. So we're excited to continue and we'll, we'll check in with you. You haven't gone far. I mean, I still, I still talk to you all the time um, yeah. for my random Sam knowledge. Cause I don't know where else I'd learn weird things. If you need hip hop beats or random Sam knowledge or uh, skateboarding videos, I'm here. Man. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to you soon then. All right. The Lawyerist podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.